I think political correctness has damaged our country so badly. Oh, I'm absolutely not for political correctness. I think that is tearing down the U.S. It's a prison of the mind. It's a prison of the soul. Welcome back to Political Correctness Part 2 in Ireland. Uh, today we're going to be talking about gender-neutral bathrooms on campuses throughout Ireland. Uh, if you don't like same-sex marriage, vote no. If you're worried about freedom of speech and freedom of religion, vote no. And if you don't like political correctness, vote no, because this is the best way to stop it in its tracks. But the Swedish public, not only do the politicians not tell them no. what is going on, the media don't tell them what is going on, because in Sweden there is a law that prohibits anyone from saying the race or religion of any perpetrator of crime. It is an astonishing situation where political correctness is put above public See, here, here's what's so amazing about this. So, the whole idea of political correctness is everybody's so sensitive. Just get over it. You know, why should uh, African Americans be so sensitive about police shootings? Why, why do they have to be so sensitive about uh, uh, years of systemic racism creating economic disparity. Come on. I'm not a slave owner. Let's say I visit another country. I say this politically correct respect. Ooh, what is your food? What are your cultural forms? No, I tell them, tell me a dirty joke about yourself and we will be friends and so on. It works. So you see this ambiguity? That's my problem with, with political correctness. No, it's just a form of self-discipline which doesn't really allow you to, to overcome racism. What is political correctness? We are over-informed. Hello, I'm Sebastian Stevenson. You know the phrase. You know it's not a nice phrase. Anything with the word political before it is bad, right? I mean, who wants to be political anything, right? But we like being correct, don't we? What is the harm in being correct? Isn't it correct to be correct? So if we bring the two of these together, we have something that no one wants to associate themselves with, but what is it about this phrase that everyone runs away from? This is what we'll be looking at today. What is political correctness? Where did it come from? And what does it mean to use that two-word phrase today? Let's ask around to answer and get a sense of what is political correctness. Back at the beginning of 2017, I was cast in a play called Madhouse. It was an experimental play that looked at the forces that force us to conform through language. It was written by a man named Pat Upton. So he might be a good person to ask. So I asked Pat, what is political correctness? Well, political correctness, I guess, is uh, you can look at it in a number of different ways. Political correctness is, is a sort of a cultural discourse where certain things are held to be acceptable and other things outside that discourse are held to be unacceptable. Of course, the, the interesting thing about political correctness is a lot of it is self-imposed as opposed to something that is explicit in the culture. 
So typically what you'll find is a lot of people are, are very able to criticize what's happening in Russia, yet they have absolutely nothing to say about what's happening, say, in England or in America. So I think typically in the media, in the mainstream media, the bandwidth of, of, of discussion is very, very limited and very, very uh, sort of thin, if I can put it that way. You, you can have an opinion once you really have very little to say and once you strictly avoid controversy. And we can see this in the Irish Times, the New York Times, RTE, that really, you know, people are very good at sort of staying above the surface, but a real sort of thorough discussion of, for example, the arts in Ireland or the theatre or homo economicus is generally frowned upon. So from that point of view, in the mainstream media, you, you, you will struggle to find an incisive discussion of why, for example, the overwhelming majority of us are condemned to work 50 hours a week so that we can earn money to pay for largely overpriced commodities such as houses and cars. Uh, that's something which is a central question uh, in, in today's society that is almost never discussed in the mainstream media. So it's about limiting and controlling the range of opinion we are allowed to have that we impose onto ourselves and is also a limitation of media, right? Like if you, if you used a, an offensive word, one that has a dark history or a hurtful history for some people who you might call that word, I suppose, and any... Oh, this is my brother Zachary Stevenson. I thought I would ask him. It's a tricky issue, I believe, because um, there is, in my opinion, political correctness and unachievable restriction on language. There's nothing wrong with political correctness, but I believe that when uh, you see people talking about political correctness gone wrong, that's actually not to do with political correctness, but the sort of mentality behind people who are using political correctness as a stick to beat others with. For instance, I heard someone the other day say that um, it was a knick-knack, paddywhack, give a dog a bone, or some, some, some rhyme that I knew from my childhood was an offensive term because 200 years ago it was a, there was some racial connotation to it. But I, the only issue that I took with this was, while I understand that it was initially a racial term, I don't see the logic of shutting that a word away when, for instance, in my lifetime my set of circles that that has never never even crossed my mind as being a racial thing and it's never said with the the intent or the context to cause offense to someone but also there's no one in born alive today that has probably suffered the original racial context of that nursery rhyme so it's sort of like i mean i could by the same logic find phrases or words that were in 17th century offensive to Irish people from English people and try to tell people that they cannot say these things when really I'm only creating an issue. However, that takes away from political correctness. Political correctness is a good idea. It's a good concept, but people can get carried away looking for something to beat others with, to, to make themselves look like the paragon or the saviour in a situation when really they're creating the situation in the first place. So it's about how we use language to identify each other and to respect each other's differences, but also at the same time seems to allow people to marginalize other people. That's a bit contradictory. And what has that got to do with the media? And isn't what Zachary said kind of the opposite of controlling what is acceptable in society? 
And we say political correctness as if it's a dirty word, whereas it's not. It's just about kindness and generosity and treating all people equally, which surely has to be a good thing. My name is Chupi Sweetman and I'm creative director of Chupi Jewelry and I make beautiful sparkly things. Can you give an example of political correctness or something that might be described as politically correct? Well, I think one of those things, like it's, a, it's around equality and women's equality and men's equality where people get annoyed when women are treated differently. And I, I think that's actually a really interesting one. I think one of the really interesting things around political correctness is equality is so unbelievably important. But also you have to acknowledge the reality, which is that by and large men are bigger and stronger. And I'm so comfortable with the idea if the man wants to lift a really heavy box and a woman is standing beside him and doesn't, that's okay. So acknowledging that while we are equally strong in character, that sometimes men lift the heavy things, I think is an important example of political correctness being gentle. Political correctness is such an unfortunate term where we're dismissing something that is about quality, around kindness, around generosity, around treating all people and all things equally. But as a young woman, as a woman who's run a business since I was I'm 34 now, since I was 17, I've experienced all the other, the opposites of it, the discrimination, the oh dear, isn't that lovely, and the love that comes with that. Not the not the love and equality, but just the ah, there now love. So I think I've experienced a lot of political incorrectness. So I think it's much more important to to be kind. That was from my cousin Chupi Sweetman of Chupi Jewelry. So it's about what's not acceptable, but it's about language, but also equality. Maybe if we look at the history of the term political correctness, we might get a better idea. The earliest usage of the phrase political correctness that we could find was in a court case in 1793 in the United States of America. Where else, really? It was in one of the first Supreme Court cases. The case would define the role of the state and the federal government in the United States of America. The state of Georgia was sued by a man after they acquired goods from a merchant in South Carolina but didn't pay for the goods after the merchant died. The state of Georgia's argument for not paying was because they are not a real person, but an artificial person. In the US Constitution, ultimate sovereignty lies with the people, but a state is a kind of artificial sovereignty which the people of the United States consent to. So Georgia is saying, how can you expect a person to pay if they are not really a person? This argument leads up to the Supreme Court, where it is struck down, and yes, you do have to pay for the goods you got. So it is during this case Judge James Wilson uttered, quote, Sentiments and expressions of this inaccurate kind prevail in our common, even our convivial, language. Is a toast asked? The United States, instead of the people of the United States, is the toast given. This is not politically correct. This toast is meant to present the view of the first great object in the Union. It presents only the second. It presents only the artificial person instead of the natural persons who spoke it into existence. Okay, so that's quite archaic, but let me help you out. If you replace the phrase, this is not politically correct, with the phrase, this is not technically correct, it becomes more comprehensible. What he is saying is that if you make a toast to the citizens of the United States and you use the phrase to the United States, you are technically incorrect as you will be celebrating, say, the state of Georgia rather than Howard, who happens to be in Georgia. So that is what the phrase meant. It's like if he said this is legislatively incorrect 
or even simpler, inaccurate. So this is the first known recorded utterance of the phrase. Political correctness in the way it appears to be used today seems to have planted its conceptual seed in early 20th century China. It came about along with Mao Zedong's Chinese communism in the 1930s. The phrase was actually about a way of devising policy under communist rule. It was a way to show what would be party consensus by having the hierarchy dictate what would be allowed to be consensus. Another phrase for this would be consensus by command, by showing what would be the correct way to think about how to solve problems that came up during the state. It was to make sure you were thinking the approved Maoist doctrine. This even appears in the Soviet Union, with a Christian Science Monitor article published in the 1930s reporting on a report. It was about how a certain group of students were educated in Russia. One of the criticisms was that they are learning, quote, superficial and often politically incorrect information in civics and social spaces, end quote. In parts of communist Europe, the phrase political correctness is becoming a kind of parody of itself. One author writing a memoir of his time in communist Poland says this, a political correct theme would not have saved him from the critics' attack. Be he described the concentration camp as he personally had seen it, not as he was supposed to see it. This is from a memoir called The Captive Mind by Czesław Miłosz, written in 1955. This is a very precise definition compared to our more contemporary phrase, which started to appear in the United States in the 1970s and surfaces on the left side of the American political spectrum. It is here, around this period of change, that the ideologies driving that change feminism, environmentalism, black rights, LGBT rights, that political correctness would come to situate itself in. It's also where the phrase becomes a parody of itself. It doesn't become the correct way to think, but look at how correctly thinking someone is to the point of stupidity. One of the earliest examples is from a book called The Black Women, published in 1970 by Tony Cade, where it said, quote, a man cannot be politically correct and a chauvinist too. It would be in the 90s that things would become even more familiar to us today. In the US, there was a questioning of the canon in the humanities and looking for ways to make it not just a reflection of white man thought and experience. In some instances, it led to a reading list accompanying a list of appropriate words to say. This led to the debates that mainly happen on US universities and in academic books. And because of the different expectation of academics in the US compared to other countries, this moved into the public sphere as well. The UK did also have a debate around this time, but it was more in the media world rather than in academia and more of a focus on the replacement for the words than on the sentiment or the intent behind the words. Well, that helped understand what the story of political correctness is, but I can't help but feel that we haven't got quite to what it means today. What has the debate evolved into? What does it mean to use the phrase now? We've brought some contributors from headstuff.org to have a meditation on the matter. We invited Colm O'Regan Hi. from Headstuff's No Encore podcast and a staff writer for Hot Press magazine, and Mia Christian Doring, a writer for Headstuff who writes mainly about violence against women. Obviously, I brought you here today to talk about political correctness. You're not necessarily, I suppose, part of an activist group to get rid of it or whatever. But I, I suppose you're obviously journalists. You both kind of look at language as 
in some way or another work with it. But do you consider yourselves politically correct, I might ask, actually? Colin? I think probably just by virtue of my age and growing up in a city probably makes you more politically correct than most. You know, being under 30 years of age, you've probably got um, a very different upbringing from some older people, some more rural people, etc. At the same time, I found myself over time probably becoming more and more distant from what I'd consider the politically correct movement. And that's a lot to do with kind of having my own political beliefs established and, you know, seeing how far from sort of liberal the political correct movement is at this point. Mia, so would you consider yourself politically correct? I suppose so. I'd be, um, I would be considerate in how I move through the world and in how I communicate, I suppose. I don't know if that means I'm politically correct or not. I suppose I'm just considerate and I think about the effects or the impacts on, of what my behaviour or language might have on people. I suppose that might be a, a better way of describing how I am. Mm. So is political correctness just to be nice to other people or is it is it to be considerate of others? Because I know you mentioned that it's, you know, you would consider yourselves appreciated political correctness, whereas now you think it's gone too far, Colin. But Mia, you sort of just consider it as a way of being, whereas obviously it's used as a way to like somehow silence truths. And like, where do you think that where do you think that kind of comes from that? Like some people consider it just a nice thing to do and others people consider it lying. What do you mean, consider lying? Well, I mean, because some would say, oh, I'm politically incorrect. I'm speaking a kind of truth in that, oh, you can't um, say someone is crazy, for example, in universities or whatever. Um, I know that column was mentioned that a word in certain U.S. universities that has been banned or let me interrupt here and say we did try to find out what column was referencing there after this discussion. And it seems we can't quite verify what happened or that the event happened at all, as the places that did report on it also have an interested or editorial agenda for these kinds of stories to exist. What was said to have happened was that the word crazy was censored during a transcript of a panel discussion that happened in Smith College in the US. However, we could not verify the accuracy of the reporting around that event. Okay, so back to the discussion. But then, you, I don't know, saying African-American instead of black or... That's politically incorrect, is it? Apparently. I mean, this is what we've kind of been exploring is that like it's actually quite hard thing to pin down like yeah. what it is. Well, you see, ultimately it gets troublesome, particularly troublesome, should I say, when you've got actual empirical facts that you can't approach or do anything about. So forget what you call, you know, a person of colour in an American university, for instance. Like the University of Connecticut released figures that say that the graduation rates for black men are like on average about 20% belower all over other demographics. White men and women, black women, Asian men and women. But the ability to actually address that problem is hamstrung by the fact that anything that singles out black men is on both grounds of race and gender completely politically incorrect. And so when the movement gets to the point where you can't actually do good anymore and where the actual virtue becomes a vice... Hmm. That's where yeah, the like problem when it arises. Meaningless or something? Is that what you mean? It's not even meaningless, but when it becomes so strict and yeah. so absolutist yeah. that it basically just becomes obsolete. Yeah. One of the things that keeps coming up is that there's been like a slow acknowledgement that like maybe there's a white male privilege mm-hmm. in certain I just I don't know back and forths in terms of politics. It seems that like the people who would be politically correct are also interested in addressing those kind of. I don't know, structural inequality things or whatever you call them, 
but the ones who are kind of constantly going, you're politically correct, how dare you be politically correct, are usually the ones that are saying, no, it's all about meritocracy, it's all about merit, that we don't need these kind of um, handicaps or whatever. So, like, that's kind of, isn't that almost an out-of-date way to describe how it's gone too far, Colin? In the sense that people like who who are being politically in, are politically correct get criticized i think that's proof of the fact that they are being listened to and have their chances to have their voices heard the main problem is that that side uses the branding of political incorrectness to silence debate and to quash the voices on the other side and for me i mean Mm -hmm. if you're going to do anything constructive Mm -hmm. conversation is the number one thing that you need to do that that's what i would have concern about and i really hate talking in generalizations but there's no either there's no other way of kind of talking about this is there like without going through like examples um but my my concern around this is that over political correctness limiting your freedom of speech. Oh, completely. Your freedom of movement even. In the mm-hmm. UK and the US we see journalists and writers being no platform for having a differing opinion or for being, quote, triggering, which is a whole other issue in itself. We'll get to that. Yeah, that is something I have concern with because you can't, like there's a lot of tone policing and I know that, I see that a lot on the internet, not so much my daily life or whatever, but... Tone policing and language policing, I think, is quite dangerous because, as I just said, it's limiting our freedom of speech and it's also limiting the discussion and it's limiting our development of ideas and it's limiting our education. So it kind of does a double negative or something because you're trying to do a good thing by saying you can't say this, but then you're not allowing the person to say, but why not? What's wrong with saying that? And it's also very judgmental as well. What I always think about terminology and language and stuff is the intention behind it is what really matters, not the actual word itself. So that's where I'd, I'd always be curious about is where is the person coming from or what are they trying to say? Or are they just trying to cause offence? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because we're not all in the same wavelength here. We're not all the same educated. We don't all come from the same pool. So this language policing and tone policing, I find very um, unfortunate. That's so prevalent. Sure, but e- e- even there, it's, it's like, you know, where somebody's coming from. That in itself can be subjective to a lot of people. You know, yeah, I, sure. I think, I think sure. there's like when I hear somebody say, oh, that's offensive. Yeah. I just think, well, what gives you the right to say that? Like, yeah, I wasn't offended. something is offensive or not? I'll give you an example. Catcalling. You know, catcalling street harassment is one of my pet peeves of life. Now, I have a choice when somebody catcalls me. I have a choice to be offended or not in that, you know. I'm not saying, by, not be, by choosing not to take offence, I'm not saying that the catcalling is okay or that it's fine or that men should continue doing it for the rest of their lives. I'm not saying that I'm just not taking offence to it because I realise that their behaviour is about them and it's not about me, if that makes any sense. And there's a difference between something being offensive because that's a subjective reaction or something being damaging. So an example is a friend of mine was in a threesome is this okay to talk about? Sorry, I don't know. Yeah, okay. go for it. A friend of mine is—you never know. I, a friend of mine is in a threesome years and years ago, and um, uh, some people in the circle of friends were calling her a slut. She wasn't offended because she doesn't care about that. Mm. That was fine. Months later, she was sexually assaulted, and she didn't feel like she could speak to those friends about the sexual assault because of their use of the slur months previous. So that can show you that something could be damaging and not offensive at the same time. Does that make any sense? That we can choose the offence, but we can't choose the damage, if that makes any sense. But can we? Because if you do choose certain words, that does kind of dictate how you think. And if certain words have certain connotations and associations, do those associations not seep into your way of thinking and therefore how you 
are prejudiced towards someone. And well, it's a chicken and egg question, but I don't think either of them is actually like a valid point of restriction. You know, yeah, I mean, right. freedom of thought and freedom of speech stand alone and really it doesn't matter at one level whether or not you insult somebody or offend somebody through what you think or say you've still got the right to be able to do it i think the ability to handle it has been the kind of the, yeah, the, the well, victim exactly. of late. this is this is an issue i find the we're not we're, in, we're saying all these things are wrong and bad and we shouldn't be doing them or saying them i know i'm generalizing again but we're not building the resilience in people to handle this so there's a thing going happening in America and the UK, I think, as well, but mostly in America where books are being um, not banned, but have trigger. And now I'm not up on this really at all, but there's trigger warnings put into books and like mm-hmm. massive spoiler alerts put into books to um, well, spoilers warn is fine, students. But. Yeah, but to <laughs> warn students of um, potential trauma triggers, in quotes, that are coming up. Yeah that may come up for them. But that means that those students are going to read those books through that lens of all the stuff that has been um, highlighted for them and not through a uh, blank slate lens, if that makes any sense. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They, they're reading it through, like, I've got to watch out for this, I've got to watch out for that, and this is what this book is really about, not about, like, whatever I read it to be. Do you know what, do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and it you, frightens me that that's happening in college really as well. because it's happening in colleges. Like, the faculty of critical thinking and having some sort of, like, cognitive dissonance yeah. is exactly what actually creates what you're going to need to get through life in general. But a lot of even secondary schools don't just teach it or they, 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 well, teach it or they don't really encourage it because I remember when I was studying in university, I was stunned by how many people were kind of waiting for the right answer and like, what is the right answer to essentially a very interpretive question, something you take on your own. And is it that we need to actually recognize that Sometimes it's not bad to feel bad things, maybe, or be shocked by things, like because you're, you know, as you say, exactly. It's just life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. College is the place to learn about life, and college should not be a safe space. It should not be. It should be, it should yeah. be safe from harm. Well, it, it should, should be, be safe a safe space f- f- to discover to unsafe disc- things. Absolutely, and to be able to feel sadness and anger and the lack of justice or whatever. It should be a place to robustly experience those things within a learning environment, which is a, the best place to learn all that stuff. So you can go into the world with resilience mm-hmm. instead of being protected from all this stuff. It's ridiculous. I'm just going to throw this question out there. Does political correctness have any meaning other than when you can use it to spew, you can push people back to say, I'm going to say my hateful, mean, degrading thing. Does it have any meaning other than that? Because I know you said, Colin, that like it's gone too far and that's obviously something that is also said about it, is that it's gone too far. I guess put it this way, it, it's at a net deficit now. Mm-hmm. So that for every one reasonable use or good use of it, it seems as though it's being weaponized in 10 different ways to undermine any benefit that would have in the first place. Mm-hmm. So you take, for instance, uh, I, you said you work on, on violence against women, and I think that was a large factor at the start of things like trigger warnings. Now, I have an issue with trigger warnings yeah, anyway, but let's put that to one side. Once that can of worms is opened, anybody who has an ideological objection to any idea with which they could be confronted is then free to make those objections. So you're going to have fundamentalist Christians who want warnings when there's a homosexual couple on a movie. You're going to have uh, transgender people who believe that depiction of heterosexual relationships as being the norm 
is undermining them, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So you're left with this massive domino effect. Yeah, yeah, completely. And the trigger warning thing is really annoying me because trigger warnings were started when blogging was a new thing. And they were started by feminists to warn people of unexpected sexual violence, for example, or child abuse or whatever, popping up in a blog or something on the internet. This was young ago when this started. And that's how it began. And that was like, fine, right? You know, fine. I'd, I'd like to watch a film and not have a random rape scene pop up. Do you know that kind of way? I'd like to know. But unfortunately, rape is used in, in just for non-plot reasons so much. Mm-hmm. You can't really uh, do anything about that. Um, but now it's begun to be this thing where trauma is no longer any part of the word trigger. So the word trigger has totally lost any meaning because trigger is trauma trigger. It can also be addiction trigger. Anything can be a trigger. But like, what are what are you triggering? Like, you can just decide that something is going to trigger whatever it is that you decide it's going to trigger. Like, you can just make it up yourself. And that's kind of, it's lost the meaning that it started with. The kind of, you know, the good intention that it began with is now this bananas thing where you see some articles. And I know, in fairness, this is all kind of internet-based again. But you see articles with like 15 things, like trigger warning, blah, 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 all this crap. And it's like, are you for real? Well, again, it's not internet-based. I mean, it's creeping into theatre in particular. Now, come here. I have a, I have a thing about that because um, I was on the fence about the whole... I, see, the term trigger warning kind of annoys me more than what it actually is. So I went to see a play last October. It was a brilliant play called Coast. I didn't know that there was going to be a rape scene in it. And I was trauma triggered because I've been raped. And all I needed from them was the same thing that you do if there's, um, what's it called? Oh, God. What's that thing called? Ad- when the lights go really bad. Strobe lighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the, Seizure what's warning. the thing called? Yeah, exactly. What's the thing called, though? Epile- Se- epilepsy. E- yeah. Epi- oh, my yeah. God, I sense Se- Seizure warning or epilepsy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that we have things that say there's going to be lights in this production or yeah. whatever. Uh, and a so, safety announcement or whatever. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. You're just on the program or whatever. Or when yeah. you're booking, there's going to be lights in this. We need to have a non-hysterical, down-to-earth appreciation that we don't want our audience members to become trauma-triggered. Well, what does... That doesn't mean that we're saying things like... There's racism in this. Do you know what I mean? We're saying there is because trauma being trauma triggered is a physical reaction. It mm-hmm. isn't just something I have. I feel sad for a minute or that I'm a bit down in the dumps or that whatever. It's not. That's not what a trauma trigger is. or That's not what trauma triggers trigger. Mm-hmm. So I was really annoyed at that play because I would have gone, but I would have known and I would have been able to mentally be like, Mm-hmm. To prepare, if that makes any sense. Do you but, know what I mean? But are we looking at kind of an arbitrary system then at, at which we're going to say, well, these persons deserve warnings because yeah, but, blah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. But I think because a lot so of even those... people deserve a warning, do they not? But that's not arbitrary because they've got a distinct medical condition. Yeah, trauma trigger is physical. But as in like, is there going to be a specific cause of the trauma trigger that you would have to warn people over? Well, that's an issue because trauma triggers can be anything. So exactly. It can be a smell. It that's can be what I'm anything. saying. So yeah, we're yeah. going to warn everybody right, of right. everything. I know. I know exactly what you mean. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was like, anything and everything can be a trauma trigger, depending on because it's so subjective, mm. right? Absolutely understand that. But at the same time, I think when we're when we've got something as blatant as a rape scene in the middle of a play or whatever, just a little note. You're not making a big hoo ha out of it. Mm-hmm. It's just a little note. The same respect that we have for. People with epilepsy, we have for those people who may become triggered by a rape scene. That's mm-hmm. all it is. It doesn't mean we've got to take into account every single thing that possibly is happening. Do you you know see, I mean? I mean, first of all, I think that like that is the logical conclusion. You know that's going to happen. There are going to be people pushing for everything else to be yeah, taken that, into consideration. Yeah, that's my issue. That's my whole issue. Well, that's is why it, I'm on the but fence. Does, but does that deserve to be fought over? Like, uh, maybe 
okay, yeah, ultimately it, it is kind of arbitrary. Some things are more maybe severe than others, and you have to judge on whether it does need a, a sexual, you know, sexual harassment or rape warning or or what. And then probably this is just a case of case by case, and maybe that's where. Yeah, political correctness okay. does go too far because some just think any depiction at all rather than any sort of shades of grey is grounds for w- trigger warnings. Well, I mean, like, the whole basis of so much political correctness is this idea of just, like, moral superiority, isn't it? You know, my ideas are better, or my, my ideas are more worthy, or your ideas are offensive to me and therefore you shouldn't say them, etc., yeah, etc. It's the issue of ideas being offensive that I'm... I find very difficult. Yeah, but I think that that same logic and that same mindset would then carry over into something like this, where people are going to say, well, no, you can't refuse my trigger warnings, you can't refuse my trauma, etc., etc. It's it's impossible, it really is. And this is exactly why I say that as much as it may have started with a good intention, it... Mm has absolutely failed it. Yeah. Now, I mean, I must say, I, like, I'm not convinced that it was started with a good intention in the first place because, like, how much can a theatre really be a safe place? Well, no, and I agree with you that it shouldn't be a safe place, but I think that it should be a safe place for epileptic people. And why not then also for those people who have a physical reaction to um, what is clearly a traumatic thing to observe if you've well, experienced that yourself? Well, in the case of theatre, it kind of it's a safe. It, it's almost like college. It's a safe space to actually experience. Explore and everything. Blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. I did. So and be challenged. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, that, and be that's challenged, it. But being challenged doesn't mean I have to have a trauma reaction. That's not being challenged. Being challenged is knowing well, that there's going to be a rape that. scene coming up and still go. It's not saying rape victims are not allowed to come because this might be unhappy for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'd still go see the bloody play. Sure, you know, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tough. Like for God's sake. I know. I know. But I, I just think that the notion of putting some sort of line in the sand. Yeah, I know what you mean. The problem is knowing... That that's what I was thinking about as well yesterday. Like who decides what? And who yeah. decides that it's okay or not okay? And then, do we have to decide everything is goes or nothing goes? And like you were saying, yeah, I think it might be a case-by-case case yeah. kind of thing. But upon whom does the burden of responsibility lie then? Yeah, right, because, who decides? Yeah. yeah. And, and more that's to the point, it. I mean, like, do you blame a, a playwright or a venue or a producer? No, but it's not about blame. It's not about blame at all. It's just about discussing and educating or, or, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, sure, but like, do you put the responsibility on them, I suppose, therefore? Um, I don't know. Well, well, that final word or utterance really sums up the whole exploration of political correctness, hasn't it? There's definitely a kind of circular or looping quality to this discussion. It's tough to kind of move anywhere with it. So I suppose I'll add a few final words here. I think part of the issue with political correctness is that it's a battle for how we conduct ourselves with other people how to address people and what are the things that we should consider when speaking to less familiar people to us than our friends and family. What should we presume about them and what shouldn't we? Examples of how we might address them, what we assume about their socioeconomic status, and so on. What's the manner in which we speak? Maybe it's manners. Maybe it is the etiquette with how we engage and what we assume about the world around us. At least in its contemporary form, it seems to be, but looking at the history, there is a strong capital P politics to it. Then again, in an era when identity has been a pressing political issue, how could it not be contentious? When you find that the world is changing around you and it seems to be not in your favor, or you're having to share what was once your domain with people that are not exactly like you, then that can be threatening. Why wouldn't you try to stigmatize that phrase so that you restore the order you know? Though maybe it's an order that most don't actually want. Well, why not get them worked up on things that ultimately distract them from what you're trying to restore? 
it's quite a useful phrase to resist change and to distract people with. It's a way of not changing the world by making the change not look like change. Our executive producers are Alan Bennett and Paddy O'Leary. Our researcher is Chris Mesker, and I'm Sebastian Stevenson. We are a part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Check out our other podcasts at headstuff.org. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss out. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find the show. If you have any comments or suggestions, email us, overinformed at headstuff.org. They might show up on a future episode and we'd love to hear from you. You have been Overinformed. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.